fierce, I'm mad, I'm rude I got that pro fighter attitude I'm in the octagon with the podcast on Let's talk about it on Strattitude You know I've been the best, grab my belt and begin to flex So wild, I might hit the rep We got the winner circle segments And the two on five takeaways with Tim and Jeff So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Strattitude So just kick back, grab a brew, it's fight night So you know what we have to do Whether a power punch or a grapple move You know we got you covered on Strattitude Yeah, scrap, scrap What's up, everybody, and welcome to Tim Talk 288, brought to you by Scraptitude. This is your host, Timothy Lewis, taking you coast to coast, doing the most. Thank you for tuning in. Now, for the uninitiated, this podcast combines three key perspectives. An aggregate of the odds makers, that of the data, courtesy of the Scraptitude database, state-of-the-art, And lastly, that of myself, a decade-plus viewer and analyst of this sport we know and love. The purpose? To give you a comprehensive basis of information so that you can choose the best wagers come fight night. So while I'll be giving you my picks, I'll be telling you some of the things that I am betting, my goal is to give you the tools to make the choices that you feel most comfortable with that'll help you win your bets. However, before we get to that point, as is customary, I will be reviewing the results of the prior Tim Talk. That is Tim Talk 287. On the night, I covered five fights for UFC 277. The odds makers went four of five, and I went three of five. My main miss was that Kelvin Gastelum versus Chris Curtis fight, which has been embroiled in controversy. I also missed selecting... Alex Pereira over Israel Adesanya. However, I did save the night with an underdog pick of Rob Font, who bludgeoned Adrian Yanez to a first-round victory. Now, without any further hesitation, let's get into UFC 288. Yo, yeah. The first bout on the docket is an exciting clash between women strawweights Marina Rodriguez and Virna Jandaroba. Currently, the aggregate odds are as follows. Rodriguez is a minus 146 favorite to the plus 118 aggregate underdog of Yandaroba. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 59.3% implied likelihood of victory for Rodriguez to the 45.9% implied likelihood for Jandaroba. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you might have seen this fight with some different odds. Jandaroba was all the way up around plus 140, 150. That's come down, and it's changed my thoughts on the fight overall. The 35-year-old Jandaroba is a live dog here. She lands .77 takedowns per round, and she will have a pronounced grappling and wrestling advantage in this fight. However, anyone who's watched Virna compete knows that she has a little bit of a problem with the gas tank, so it should be a surprise to no one if she comes out, stacks the first round, accumulates a bunch of control time, and then is flat for rounds two and three. In fact, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. Marina Rodriguez is a voluminous striker. She is poised. She is aggressive. And with the damage first criteria, which has been particularly emphasized over grappling as of late, I expect her to be able to negate any control time that Jandaroba might be able to accumulate in rounds two and three by landing more significant strikes. Furthermore, across 
18 career professional mixed martial arts bouts, Marina Rodriguez has never succumbed to a submission loss. So while I do see the merits of Virna Jandaroba here being able to make this one interesting with her grappling prowess, the decreased likelihood of a finish for somebody who has 70% of their career victories coming by submission has me concerned. This will become an issue of attrition, a gas tank question. So while Jandaroba has a strong 18-3 career professional mixed martial arts record, I do look at her uh, overall success rate in the UFC where she's won four of seven bouts. So all three of her career losses have come in the UFC and it's no mistake that it's happened as she's faced an ascendant level of competition and athleticism. Overall, Rodriguez has fared better against a higher level of competition, and I expect that to continue in this fight. Probabilistically, I see Marina Rodriguez by decision at plus 130 to be overwhelmingly the most likely outcome for this fight. Lock it in. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have another wrestler versus striker clash, the striker being Drew Dober taking on Matt Frivola. Currently, Dober sits as an aggregate minus 213 favorite to the plus 170 underdog of Matt Frivola. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 68.1% implied likelihood of victory for Dober to the 37% implied likelihood for Frivola. Now, right off the bat, what jumps off the page is that Drew Dober is much more experienced. He has 37 career professional mixed martial arts fights at 34 years old, compared to just 14 for Frivola at 32 years old. We can kind of see that come into play in the way the two fight respectively. Dober, while being a knockout artist, a striker by trade, is more patient. He lets the fight develop and he finds his shot. And he's been known for comeback victories, a trademark of his ability to overcome adversity. Frivola, on the other hand, is all gas, no breaks. He comes out winging hooks, shooting takedowns, applying a very high and risk-prone pace. As one might expect, Drew Dober's faced a higher level of competition, and their success rate is comparable. For their entire careers, Matt Frivola has a slightly higher win rate, but just in their UFC tenures, it's actually Drew Dober who has won more of his overall fights, a higher percentage. However, unlike the aforementioned Jandaroba, Matt Frivola should not be expected to gas out in their 15-minute affair. It's going to be up to Drew Dober to apply that 55% takedown defense rate successfully throughout the duration while finding his shots, because make no mistake, he can absolutely knock out Matt Frivola but the question is, can he keep the fight in his desired geography? You see, the thrilling thing about this fight is Matt Frivola is a highly volatile character. We saw him get starched in about seven seconds by Terrence McKinney running face first into a punch. But he also has wins against ranked Jalen Turner, as well as a shocking knockout win against Otman Azatar in his last fight out. Furthermore, you need to go back to Josh the people's champ, Berkman, who had lost five out of his six previous bouts to find the last grappling forward fighter that Drew Dober has defeated. He has perhaps wisely avoided those matchups, and in the opponents that he has faced with reasonable or strong track records, who also possess grappling prowess, 
He's lost convincingly, including bouts against Benil Dariush and Islam Makachev. Now, is Matt Frivola on that level? Absolutely not. We don't really know who Matt Frivola is. At 32, he's too old to be a prospect, but he does have a skill set athleticism package that's at least somewhat intriguing and problematic for a more one-dimensional fighter in Drew Dober. So if you're betting on Drew Dober, you're paying for that experience, and you are getting perhaps a bump from the implied volatility of a fighter as reckless as Matt Frivola. Therefore, if you're betting Dober by TKO, which is a pretty safe bet, you're getting that at minus 110. And I understand that. It's a likely outcome, and the odds makers are not going to get played. But is it a foregone conclusion? Not as much as they assert. This is going to be a mixed martial arts bout, and it's been a while since we've seen Dober mix it up with a grappler and find success. I like the underdog play for Frivola here, and beyond that, I do see room for a skillful grappler like Frivola to notch a submission victory. He's won 30% of his career bouts that way, and Drew Dober has lost four career bouts by submission. So there's a little bit of synergy there, and you can lock it in at plus 750. So think about it. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have another stellar women's mixed martial arts fight, again in the strawweight division, this time between Jessica Andrade and Yan Zhaonan. Currently, Andrade is a minus 203 aggregate favorite to the plus 164 aggregate underdog of Zhaonan. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 67% implied likelihood of victory for Andrade to the 37.9% implied likelihood for Zhao Nan. Followers of the sport know Andrade as a staple, a stalwart, across multiple divisions. Recently, she's fought twice at 125 pounds, but she's bounced between 115, 125, and even 135 pounds with just a 5'1 stature. How? She's explosive, she's thick as a steak, and she has a fucking mean streak. Furthermore, Andrade has amassed all of this experience, 34 professional fights, at just 31 years old. That's the age-adjusted experience that we love on this program. But I think it would be a mistake to sell this as an easy fight for Andrade. She's going to be the shorter and probably the slower fighter in this bout. Yan Zhao Nan is a skillful boxer. She's quick. She's in and out. She doesn't overcommit. And she's going to make Andrade work to close the gap. There are definitely stylistic challenges for Andrade, but perhaps the most important thing to note here is the discrepancy in the quality of their respective experience. Yan Zhao Nan's opponents have an average of just 5.84 wins which means that her career career win rate of 84% doesn't hold up. It's a leaky bucket once we start pouring the water in. Therefore, everything that she's accomplished has to be taken with a grain of salt. But she does have some legitimate experience. She has a win against Mackenzie Dern and probably should have defeated Marina Rodriguez in that split decision verdict. She's also defeated veterans like Angela Hill, and Claudia Gedalia. By my eye, even though her strength of schedule hasn't been the highest, her athleticism, her capacity to perform, 
does pass the eye test, at least in the realm of striking. When it comes to grappling, we did see Zhao Nan stifle Mackenzie Dern, but she can't take down her Christmas lights, much less a UFC opponent. In her bout with Carla Esparza, we saw a dramatic upset. Esparza managed to ground Zhao Nan with ease and mashed her face into the canvas. And that's why I believe many have Jessica Andrade favored over Yan Zhao Nan. Andrade should be competitive in the striking phase, although I do have concerns there. But when it comes to grappling, it seems as though Jessica Andrade will be stronger in those sequences and more skilled. A possible red flag here for the case of Andrade is despite her landing 0.88 takedowns per round for her career, she's landed just four takedowns over her last eight fights. For the smart ones wondering about the math, that's four takedowns in almost an hour of cage time. So in case you haven't gotten the memo, I do have reservations about betting Jessica Andrade for this bout even throwing her into a parlay. Perhaps there's others that are more confident, but the recent trajectory, how she's been utilizing her skills, some unknowns about Yan Zhao Nan, combined with the theoretical stylistic difficulties she poses, this feels like a fight where you bet on the underdog. Zhao Nan is plus 160 on the aggregate money line, and you can find her around plus 225 to win by decision. Yo, yeah. The next fight I'm covering is the co-main event of the evening, a late addition to the UFC 288 card and an ostensible welterweight title eliminator bout. That is Bilal Muhammad taking on Gilbert Burns. Currently, Bilal Muhammad sits as an aggregate underdog of plus 105 to the minus 130 aggregate favorite that is Gilbert Burns. In terms of percentages, that converts to a 56.5% implied likelihood of victory for Burns to the 48.8% implied likelihood for Bilal. Remember the name, Muhammad. So this fight is interesting because there's some unorthodox variables. There is the fact that Gilbert Burns just fought and defeated Jorge Masvidal on the last pay-per-view. Then there's the fact that Bilal Muhammad as well took this fight on short notice and had complaints about the amount of weight that he had to cut in this period of time. But ultimately, both of these men want to put themselves in contention. They want to get that next title shot after the undeserving Colby Covington has his opportunity. To secure their claim, the two guys who will fight anybody are now fighting each other. Stylistically, I find this bout to be fascinating. Burns is 5'11", Muhammad is 5'10", but you're going to see both these guys are stocky, strong, widely built men. And both of them are in this part of their career, Muhammad at 34, Gilbert Burns at 36, where they are running out of the proverbial runway to achieve a title shot. Their dreams need to be seized now. But despite the similarities in where they are in their respective careers and their physical stature, these men have very different approaches to the sport. Burns loads up and throws heavy punches and calf kicks, whereas Bilal Muhammad is more of a tactical striker who methodically game plans to take away the strengths of his opponents. 
He's also developed a solid wrestling game and is difficult to finish. Skill set for skill set, it's hard to find a major discernible edge. I mean, I'll be doing exactly that, but I'm just saying that the complexion of this fight is pretty even and the odds reflect that. If I had to guess why Gilbert Burns is ever so slightly favored, it's because the contest is scheduled for five rounds. Bilal Muhammad complains about a weight cut. It's a 25-minute bout. The connecting of the dots leads one to believe that Gilbert Burns could be the better conditioned fighter coming into this one. My personal take is I have a hard time believing somebody who is as calculated as Bilal Muhammad inside the octagon would be so uncalculated outside of it, taking a bout that he's not prepared for with unfavorable circumstances. Now, I think Gilbert Burns will find a lot of success with that calf kick, or at least it's going to be something that he is targeting. We have seen Muhammad have his front leg chopped up before by Diego Lima, who is a far inferior fighter to Gilbert Burns. Simultaneously, we could see Bilal Muhammad surprise everybody and mix in some takedowns. He's never been submitted in his career, and Gilbert Burns has never had a reason to really polish his takedown defense. His jiu-jitsu has always warded off the takedown threat, outside of perhaps a bout against Damian Maya. So in a coin flip matchup like this one, I'm going to lean towards some more rudimentary factors. I'll take the younger fighter who has the higher win rate. Both those things lie in the corner of Bilal Muhammad. Currently, the odds makers like this one to go to a decision, and I agree. That further bolsters my confidence in Bilal Muhammad, who's a cerebral tactician, and will find ways to win the margins and swing rounds, especially if he implements his wrestling prowess. Overall, I don't love this fight card for betting purposes, especially the way I do things where I need sample sizes to analyze data to utilize my edge. It's just not a card that has a lot of clear wins on it. And credit to the odds makers for that. But for this bout here, it's a close one, but I'm leaning towards Bilal Muhammad by decision. Yo, yeah. Next up, we have the main event of the evening between bantamweight kingpin Aljamain Sterling and former two-division UFC champion, former Olympic gold medalist Henry Cejudo. The odds for this tantalizing bout are as follows. Aljamain Sterling is a minus 109 to the minus 115 of Henry Cejudo. A true coin flip in terms of percentages, which are absolutely nonsensical considering the nature of betting fights. We have Aljamain Sterling with a 52.2% implied likelihood of victory to the 53.5% implied likelihood of victory for Henry Cejudo. They're both going to win. Now, to add some conjecture to this hotly contested matchup, I believe the return of John Jones has definitely helped boost Henry Cejudo enthusiasts. It proved that greats can stay great, that a layoff means nothing, and that the best athletes this sport has ever seen have a shelf life that outlasts everyone else. And Henry Cejudo may very well be the best athlete we have ever seen in mixed martial arts. You heard it earlier, Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. That's crazy. That's one of the hardest gold medals to achieve. 
and then to also win the flyweight and bantamweight titles, Henry Cejudo has a strong argument for the best combat sports athlete of all time, and he'll tell you that himself. But he's not fighting Marlon Marais this time. He's not taking on an aged Dominic Cruz or a depleted TJ Dillashaw. He is taking on Aljamain Sterling, a premier threat, a pinnacle of talent and skill in this division who has repeatedly surpassed expectations on his way to achieving the highest heights this sport has to offer, UFC gold. Now, for all my Henry Cejudo enthusiasts out there, plug your ears. And don't blame me. This is a Luke Thomas tweet that I am reading you. And unfortunately, I find it to be quite prescient, especially in the context of the analysis that I use on this program. Here it goes. Reminder, record of UFC fighters over 35 years old between 125 and 170 pounds in title fights. Two wins, 28 losses. Those two wins belonging to Tyron Woodley. End tweet. So you'll often hear me talking about the age apex on Tim Talk. What this means is that generally in mixed martial arts, there is a range of ages, I say between 27 and 33, where we see athletes give their peak performance. It's at this period that fighters hit this matrix of maturity and athletic ability and skill development. Some fighters are able to continually develop their skill and somewhat stave off the athletic decline that happens as we reach our mid and late 30s. But these examples are relatively rare. Those who manage to keep performing at a high level are elite athletes, say, Henry Cejudo or Jose Aldo or Tyron Woodley, or they exist at higher weight classes where we see less of an abrupt fall off as a result of eclipsing the age apex. But if somebody's going to accomplish this feat, the rare, rare possibility of a 36-year-old fighter becoming a UFC champion at 135 pounds, it would be Henry Cejudo. I can't I can't think of anybody who is a better candidate to upset those odds. But not only does Henry Cejudo have to overcome this stacked deck, he's also competing against Aljamain Sterling, who is going to be a significantly larger fighter at five foot seven to the five foot four Cejudo. And not only will he be taller, but he's also going to have a longer reach at 71 inches to 64 inches, and he's going to be significantly heavier weighing up to 170 pounds between camps. The size difference will be borderline comical. Lastly, there is the subject of age-adjusted experience. At a younger age, Aljamain Sterling has more career mixed martial arts fights, 25 to 18, to the 30, compared to the 36-year-old Henry Cejudo. So in terms of stature, in terms of the advanced analytics, we see a lot in favor of Aljamain Sterling. That's unavoidable. But how about the stylistic nuances of this fight? By trade, Sterling is a grappling forward fighter. He wants to get you down and tie into a pretzel. He is a very high-level submission grappler. But as we well know, it's hard to grapple if you can't get a takedown. Cejudo has been taken down just one time in his mixed martial arts career, 
and Sterling, while a very proficient grappler, isn't an elite takedown artist. Alternatively, I don't find it all that likely that Henry Cejudo shoots regular takedowns on Aljamain Sterling. He has to respect the submission grappling profile. So while Sterling would like to achieve an advantageous grappling position here, it's going to be a difficult thing to obtain and is more likely to happen through some kind of scrambling sequence than it is through a conventional takedown attempt. This leads to the idea that we'll be watching a glorified kickboxing match. So how does that play out? Sterling has a death by a thousand cut style. He's going to switch stances. He's going to throw teeps and knees and elbows and punches from unorthodox angles. While he's capable of stinging opponents with his strikes, Aljamain Sterling has yet to register a knockdown in his UFC career. So his style is built around utilizing his range, confusing opponents, and opening up takedown opportunities. Cejudo has a refined simplicity to his approach. He's not a particularly toolsy striker, but he's developed a methodology that allows him to implement a few important tools. His explosiveness is accentuated by the karate stance. He helps mitigate his common reach disadvantage by utilizing a powerful calf kick. He has strong collar ties and clinching and throws brutal knees up the middle. But perhaps the area where Henry Cejudo is somewhat overrated is in terms of his striking power. He has knockout ability, but is not a knockout artist. He's going to need to find a way to make this an interior, rugged, clinch, and dirty boxing type of fight. If there's one thing that's hard to doubt about Henry Cejudo, and there's a lot of things that are hard to doubt about him, he's amazing. He's a, he's a combat god. Uh, but his ability to dissect opponents and create game plans. He's going to identify a path to victory and refine the tools necessary to put him in those positions. My worry is that he's aging and that he's going to be physically outmatched here, maybe not from a athleticism standpoint, but just in terms of size, just in terms of the ability to leverage techniques. I see Aljamain Sterling outstriking and outpointing Henry Cejudo on the way to a comfortable decision victory. Yo, yeah. So that about does it for Tim Talk 288. I hope you enjoyed this program. No parlay of the pod. We ain't doing that anymore. Uh, but hit me up. Feel free to talk fights. I'm happy to chop things up. Maybe some fights I haven't talked about on this card. Or maybe you have some questions about what was said here. Uh, I'm available. You can hit me through. Uh, yeah, Twitter's probably the best way. Uh, but please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Refer us to a friend. Every bit helps. Every new person who interacts with me or engages with this show uh, gives me a reason to keep on doing it. So, yeah, until next time, much love, enjoy the fights, and have a great weekend.